All right, guys, uh, we, we're live from the Rick and Bubba studio. Uh, I know we still, uh, there's a, lot, a minute on the clock, a little less than a minute, 40 seconds uh, before it's officially noon. So we don't have anybody officially late yet. But if you see somebody come up late, uh, I think the door is still propped open. Uh, there's, we do have some seats in here uh, uh, so we can work them in, okay? All right, so uh, let's open up with prayer, and then I'll kind of give you a little bit of uh, uh, some things you need to know that, that you have an opportunity to be part of coming up. I'll tell you a little bit about what we're going to study, and then we'll move from there. Uh, Lord, thank you for our time together today. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, for the men who have made this a priority. And Lord, as you have promised, if, uh, if we make this a priority, it is of so much value and has so much strength, uh, it really will change us. Uh, and Lord, I thank you for, uh, for watching uh, the, the continuation of the sanctification of, of the men who have engaged I'm thankful, Lord, for maybe anyone who's joined us for the very first time, uh, that you'll continue to solidify them on the journey. Lord, I, I love that we have an opportunity to get together, and anytime uh, anybody in this room going through a rough patch, we reach out, we help each other, and, and we try to get ourselves back up on that, that, uh, that, that narrow path that we've entered through that narrow gate, which you told us not to be surprised that when we do that, we'll be part of the few, and we'll also be on a, on a path that's hard. Uh, and they cannot be maneuvered without us completely being dependent on you. And I pray, Lord, that you refine us today on a, a subject that can be difficult, not only to understand, uh, but difficult to apply. And we can't do it without you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple things. If, uh, if you would like to, and you can just get tickets as you come, uh, this Saturday in Birmingham, Alabama, this Saturday morning, uh, Todd Jones will be speaking to any of the men, a part of these Bible studies, or any man that's watching or listening uh, that wants to come to Shades Mountain Baptist Church, the Fellowship Hall. Uh, we'll have Todd Jones. We'll have a great breakfast. And, and what I love about having the opportunity this coming Saturday to just do nothing more than eat breakfast with y'all and introduce Todd is that Todd Jones has been one of the people, we've been friends for a very long time, that, that has God, God has used in 2008 of January when we went through the toughest trial at, so far. One, well, I guess it's the toughest. There's, there's still some others we've had since that are pretty tough too. Uh, but when our youngest son went to heaven and, and Sherry and I walked through that, Todd Jones is one of these guys that, that never fails uh, to contact me periodically, especially on the anniversaries as they come, and say, you need to know that God used that to change me forever. And I have not wavered. I have not drifted back. I am continuing to be sanctified. I've, I've continued to be matured. And I thought of what our pastor told us when it happened. And Todd's one of the many. There are certain things and certain people that were only going to change through this. There are certain things God's accomplishing that weren't, it wasn't going to be accomplished any other way. And Todd's one of those examples of that. So I, I get very excited about that. And, uh, and Todd, obviously, for those of you that followed his sports career, uh, was very successful in uh, professional sports. But more importantly, he's a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, he will be here to challenge us on, uh, on the breakfast on Saturday. So if you got a free Saturday morning, uh, it won't last that long. You'll be out of there by, by late morning, and you can come spend some time with us. I'd love for you to be part of that. I'll get an opportunity to do a prayer breakfast the very next day uh, at Valleydale Church, and I'll be addressing their men uh, for a prayer breakfast uh, at 745 the next morning uh, before I come back over, Danny, don't worry, and make it uh, to worship uh, with us. So, so anyway, uh, th those are two prayer breakfasts that are designed for men this weekend in Birmingham. So I would just maybe try to do them both. But if you're at Shays Mountain, we're going to do that and then come back for for Danny's preaching. Uh, so anyway, so we'll uh, uh, let, let's if you if you have the book, uh, it is called The Pursuit of Holiness, and it's by Jerry Bridges. Sorry about that. Uh, did none of y'all catch me saying that that Jeff Bridges wrote this one time? You were all excited. He, you were like Jeff Bridges has come to know Jesus. This is fantastic. Uh, but but sadly it is not. Uh, but anyway, it's it's Jerry Bridges. Um, we actually did one of Jerry's Bible studies when we did uh, A Fruitful Life, which was great. Jerry, to me, Jerry falls into a place where, where I am right now. There, there's some people that are still too deep for me uh, that I, I'll, I'll take the page and, you know, uh, uh, and we're going to quote one of those guys today, too, because there's actually a book, uh, and, and Jerry references on holiness that is very good as well. But I got to tell you, 
any time that you decide to go and read the writings of J.C. Ryle, you got you got to have your act together. And uh, so when I had my choice of J.C. Ryle's book on holiness and Jerry Bridges' book on holiness, I went with Jerry uh, because. Uh, uh, and I see the people who know not again here. We'd be here a while if we went through the one that J.C. wrote. But as you mature and as we get sanctified, you can take on J.C.'s book on it as well. Put it this way. My wife has read it. I read some of it uh, on, uh, on, on, on that one. So, uh, so anyway, she went through it with ease. I, I got about a quarter way in, and I said, I, I, I don't know what this man's saying anymore. Uh, but anyway, this is a very deep bishop that I'm reading here. Uh, but anyway, Jerry Bridges kind of takes deep, the deepness of this topic and, and kind of talks to, about it in a way that, that I can comprehend and then work it out together. I'll try to take it, and I'm not going to play any games with you. This is a difficult topic. Uh, but it can't be so difficult, as Jerry talks about, that we refuse to talk about it because there, there's, there's a, de- a demand and a call to holiness that is all over Scripture that cannot be denied. So you say, well, Rick, what's complicated about that? I'm glad you asked. Well, I'll tell you why, because we're also saved by grace through faith. Faith and grace saves us, but then holiness is supposed to be a byproduct of that, which we've talked about a lot, and God certainly, the Holy Spirit, gives us the strength to do it, but there is action on our part. That, that's, and, and so you think about that, okay, Rick, that's kind of a, this is going to be kind of a dance here. That, that, and this is one of those things, you know, like let's say that you decided to go see Avengers Endgame, but you had never seen any of the movies prior. You'd be in there going, now who's this guy? What's going on here? You ever follow those kind of ongoing movie series and you're like, Shh, if we miss this, we're going to be lost for the next 45 minutes. This is one of those studies you're going to have to stay with me and we're going to have to walk step by step because if you if you miss some of these maneuvers we got to make you're going to be lost. Okay? So it's important and and there's a lot of pressure on me as a teacher to communicate this to you correctly so it's bathed in prayer because I think this topic is what takes you from minor leagues to the major leagues of walking and the victory provided by Jesus, and we're going to talk about the difference between victory and obedience today, that what obedience is produced and what it brings. This, is what, this, is, this topic today is why there's so many people that are in the Christian church that really are just going through the motions. And, and, and the problem with that is what, what, what it says to a lost world. So let's start with, first of all, is holiness something the Bible talks about? And, I'm glad you asked that as well. Um, you know, when you think about Hebrews 12, 14, now we're going to do a whole chapter on that coming up, but, I, but you, I'm just giving you some verses that we can't get around. Make every, every effort to live in peace with all men. We can follow that. That's certainly a lesson that I'm not very good at sometimes, but I like how it says make every effort. See, I land on words like that in the Bible. You have to watch me. Like I talk about watch out, studying the Bible for what's allowed versus what is commanded. That's where I can go to the first sometimes. Oh, it says effort. That's all it says. Uh, doesn't mean I have to accomplish. He says, but make every effort, and let's be honest if we've done that, to live in peace. And the reason why it says that, and we've talked about this before, sometimes we're trying to live at peace, but the other people won't, won't be at peace with us. You know, we're talking about as far as we're concerned. You know, the Bible says we're in control of our part in all this. But then look what happens next. And to be holy, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it says that we're called to be holy, and then it goes on, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and you're going to see a lot of action words here. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, now here comes the dance, stay with me, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first of all, Peter, in 1 Peter, and I'm starting in verse 13, he says, prepare your mind, action, for action, be sober-minded, meaning that we don't let our minds be altered by anything, and we're thinking clearly on the truths that we know. We're certainly, and also that would apply to drunkenness and drugs as well. Set your hope fully, so our hope is fully on what? The grace 
because there's no other way to be holy without grace, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now look at 14. As obedient children, all right, now there's, there's, there's obedience again, which is in the Bible more than sometimes you would think some people seem to think. It, it, it's everywhere. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So Peter is saying we got to prepare our mind for action. we got to be so sober-minded, and our hope is fully on the grace that's provided by Jesus Christ. And now that that grace has been given to us and we have received the gift of the grace, fully accomplished by Jesus, now we can no longer claim that we're ignorant to sin. He said, now you become an obedient child, meaning you now know better, and you don't let the former passions, the past, oh, that's the old, you remember what I said, adopt this. I have fun with this because it really helps me. And my friends will laugh about this, especially some of my new young friends that I mentor, and they love this. When I say, oh, y'all talking about old Rick. You can't let old Rick run things anymore. This is new creation, new Rick. And we're going to talk about that today. Of your former ignorance. I didn't know any better before. But now that you've accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, you can't claim that anymore. So now Jesus is going to change us, and if, we, if that doesn't happen, we're being disobedient children. Look at 15. But as he who has called you is, say it with me, holy, you also be, say it, holy in all your conduct. Ooh. Boy, this is one of those times you'd love to change the Bible, wouldn't you? Take that word all and put some. Jesus, I'm reporting. Thank you for saving me. Uh, my name is Rick. You've known that since I was woven together in my mother's womb. You are sovereign. You are gracious. You are merciful. I believe in you by faith. But uh, this holy thing, I'm going to work really hard to show how powerful you are by being holy in some of my conduct. And Jesus says, come back in. I said all your conduct. I'm going for some. I said all. I don't think I can do all. And you know what he would say? You're right. So you're going to do it? I am. Do I have to do anything? Yes. What did you just say? I'm going to provide it. Remember what I said last week? Submit yourself. Resist the devil. Come near to me. I'll come near to you. Action, action, action. Right? We have to go. It's, I'll tell you what it is. Is I meant to bring a light bulb. Picture if i got a light bulb here. If I'm holding a light bulb, it has all the potential in the world to illuminate. But it does not illuminate unless what? You access the power. So I can take that light bulb and lay it right here and say, Lord, make it illuminate. It's all you anyway. You can do that, can't you? I can. But you know what I did? I, I allowed electricity to be created. Just as you got to access my power, you're going to have to take that light bulb and screw it into somewhere that then will now cause it to illuminate when it has access to the electricity, the power. So we do have to do something. We don't accomplish it, but we certainly have a, a role in, in desiring it and moving toward it. Everybody still with me? Because the Bible says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I'm holy. Meaning, if you truly have consumed me in my fullness, my holiness will then make you holy. Well, how do I consume it? Well, you got to do something. Submit, resist, come near. So, Romans 6, 14 is what we start. And, you know, this is one that I, miss, that I used to misunderstand. And this is the problem when we take the Bible and we don't fully understand it or, or pay attention and I have been taught through my sanctification, through the teachers that the Lord has provided uh, me, and I'm so thankful for the pastors and the teachers that have helped me. And I was always taught, be careful just pulling verses out of nowhere and not reading what was said before them or after them. Please learn that. Look, we all like Bible verses. We love to have the little daily card. We flip a Bible verse, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And there are Bible verses in the Bible that are almost complete, just like they are. But... Not, but that's usually the exception, not the rule. You've got to be able to consume the Bible in its entirety to fully understand it. And I'll give away the ending. The whole Bible's about Jesus. Okay? So, so anyway, 
In Romans 6, 14, if you're not paying attention on what comes after this or what comes before it, listen to what Paul says. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Oh, I see what that means. What that means is grace handles everything, and we're not held to the standards of the law anymore. So the sin of the law is, is I, I don't have to worry about the law anymore because really anything that happens to me now, I just, I just claim I'm under grace. The only problem is Paul kept going. And after that, he clarifies. Now, don't misunderstand what I just said. Does this mean, Romans 6, that's what comes next. Does this mean that we are to sin to show how wonderful grace is? And he screams what? Certainly not. Then he goes on to say what? That we're supposed to be holy. He said, grace actually gives us the power to not be burdened by sin anymore because we now become holy by the power of Jesus. Because he says what? Once you were a slave to sin, but now that grace has been given, you're now no longer a slave to the sin. You become slaves to obedience. There's obedience again. Well, I thought I was under grace. You are, but the grace changed you. Now your desire is not to be under the authority of sin anymore because you've been freed for that. That spirit's been justified that was dead in sin. Now, remember we talked about last week, the flesh doesn't get the word on this. That's why we're moving forward on the action of holiness going forward. The flesh has no idea because it hadn't been justified. All the flesh has been is just that flesh is going to go ahead and die and it's going to go in the ground or it's going to burn or whatever you decide to do. I won't get on that theology today because the new body we're getting is not this one. Praise the Lord. That's good news for Sherry. So well, she don't have to look at my body anymore. I'm going to have a perfect body at some point. And I'm trying to get there, but I, it just doesn't seem to work, especially the older I get. Is, is, is gut fat just that's it for the rest of your life? I mean, once you, once you get a certain age, I mean, I hunt. I even notice old deer, they got a gut now. They're not lean anymore. But anyway, so no matter how hard I work, I see things kind of coming alive and responding to what's going on. But then my gut just goes, we don't get it. Um, I don't know what you're doing. You know, we're going to be somewhat this way no matter what you do. But anyway, so, so what, what we're saying is that the grace is certainly wonderful. We certainly can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our holiness. We're not under legalism. But I got bad news for us who make excuses about this, what the Bible is saying is Jesus is so powerful that now there has been a holiness that is his presence, the Holy Spirit in your now justified spirit that now has awakened a new power that frees us from sin. And it's burden on us. We, do, we can no longer, what did Peter say, claim ignorance to this anymore saying, I just can't beat sin anymore. I just can't beat it. Remember what we always say about here for four years. That didn't say a whole lot for Jesus, does it? So, so then let's talk about this. Holiness, when you talk about holiness, uh, pastors who may be watching this or listening to this, I don't know that they would or maybe heard about it, I think they would all agree. You bring up holiness, it changes the whole room. Oh. Holiness is almost treated like it's archaic. Jerry talks about this, like it's outdated. We even have negative phrases about it. Holy roller, holier than thou. Now, certainly, you don't want to be those things. But here's the problem. We take those titles, and if you bring up holiness, we go to them before we even know what's going on. Sometimes the reason why people are called holy rollers and holier than thou is because we're all convicted by their commitment to Christ. And we would rather not be convicted by the way they're living their life and the power they seem to have accessed that we haven't. So what we'll do is we want to tear them back down to where we are, and somehow we want to uh, take it, and, and see if we can de-legitimize their actual holiness and claim that they're behaving in a way that really is not to be desired. It's actually to be demonized. And Satan laughs and laughs and laughs. Now, are there sanctimonious people? Yes. Have I been sanctimonious sometimes? Yes. But does every time someone is just committed to Christ, does that mean they're a holy roller? Are they holier than thou? No. It may be they're just doing what they look like Jesus. You know, and that's what we have to think. We don't, don't fall into these cultural norms because if you look at the Bible, and Jerry makes this clear, he says, holiness in various forms occurs more than 600 times in the Bible. I'm going to say that number again. 
Holiness is referenced in various forms 600 times in the Bible. And who keeps saying they're holy? God does. And, and somehow we don't want that trait, though that we, we claim we're returning back to the image of God. You know, that's what I got deep about in my own mind. I started thinking about, gosh, in the beginning, the Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit said, let's make man in our image. And what are they? And, and what is he? They're holy. But see, that spirit died at the fall. But the Holy Spirit, it's in his name. The Holy Spirit, say it again, the Holy Spirit, you know, or if you want to be like my meemaw, the Holy Ghost, uh, came back in. I used to scare me as a kid, by the way. I like Holy Spirit better. But anyway, the, 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 the Holy Spirit comes in and says, here's the holiness that you lost when you committed sin in the fall. I now restore the holiness back to a dead spirit that is justified and awakened. And just like anything, you, you might go out and say, hey, I'm going to start running again. And the first day, if you said, and I'm going to run a marathon, you know, you're, you're, you're actually not. You're not going to make it very far. But the first day, you'd run a little ways. Because you'd say, you know what? My injury is over. My leg is working again, but I'm out of shape. So today, I'll run a little bit. But you can't stop. And if you want to continue to endure and be able to run, you run some more. And you train. That's, that, that, is, that is a really weak analogy but it really has some truth to it. You, all your holiness is not accomplished the day you were justified. You've just now been like the light bulb. You now have the ability to become holy and the power of the Holy Spirit that must be fed and the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Everybody still with me? Everybody still here? All right, so holiness isn't a specific list, and this is good news, of don'ts. It's not... It's not mannerisms. It's not the now. Look, certainly there's things that are involved in this. When it says it's not a certain way to dress, we certainly are called to modesty. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't say if you you got to have this dress on, or you got to have that shirt on, or you're not holy. It's not that kind of deal. Uh, it is not. That's the approach of the Pharisees. So that's not what it is to be holy. Stay with me. Is to be morally blameless, separated from sin, and therefore consecrated. To God. Going slow now. Stay with this. That's a write down, by the way, if you have something. To be holy is to be morally blameless, separated from sin, therefore then consecrated to God. So, so back to action again. Listen to me. If the Apostle Paul says to us to flee from sexual immorality, I'm just grabbing an example. Well, I, does anybody think flee is not action? Why didn't he just say, oh, go as close to it as you want to. God's got this. Now that you've been saved, you don't, really, you don't, you don't have to worry about it. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say that, does it? It says flee from it. So when, when I get to the point that I say sexual morality is so, is so not a part of me anywhere, I, don't be, I want to be morally blameless, I want to separate myself from sin, I'm going to physically remove myself from this situation and I'm going to be consecrated to God. I'm going to Him. I promise you, hear me, hear, from, from a man who knows, who's on the journey with you, okay? I haven't arrived. I'm on the journey with you. But I will tell you the things that have worked and the things that haven't. It is impossible for you to commit sin is if, if when that temptation arrives in your life, you run to God. It won't happen. Get the Bible out. Start praying. Say, now would be a good time for me to pray. I got some things I need to pray about anyway. I've never committed a sin when I was, when I was in the Word of God and I was in prayer to God and we were, we, were, we were conversing because I'm then reminded that because of the justification and because of Jesus saying, it's good that I go so that my presence can come, here comes the Comforter, here comes the all-powerful Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is the part of the Trinity that raised me from the dead. I'm going to give you access to that 24-7. Right now that, I, now that this 100% man part of me that, 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 we do, that we've done, it's limiting me a little bit on where I can be. And I can jump and go in here and here, but my power now is going to be left with all of you at Pentecost to be passed on to, to, to come down on my church 
For all who accept it, you're going to have my presence for always. So listen, there's never a moment that Christ isn't with us. Never. That's why Paul, I think Paul was in men's ministry. I really do. Because when he talked about sexual sin, he talked about it a lot. And one of the things that he said, I had somebody one time claim that that was his thorn. I don't believe that. I think Paul talked about that because he actually understood it's an issue. Everywhere you look, it's an issue. But, but what he said about that, what? To give us a visual. And if you want to have a brutal visual, when Paul says, so you're going to take Jesus and you're going to join him with a prostitute. Wow. You talk about nobody going, now, hey, could you paint the little picture? I don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, what do you mean by that? See, that's men's ministry. Because what do we say about men's ministry? Don't ever think men will get, don't ever say, y'all know what I'm talking about. Because you know what men go, mm, I don't. Because I'm justifying in my mind that you can't mean what I'm afraid you mean. So you have to paint the picture where men have nowhere to go. That's just the way we are, okay? So Paul said, all other sins you commit outside the body, but sexual sin, you take your body that now houses Jesus, and you're going to take him, and you're going to unite him with a prostitute? See, that, those kind of visuals give you a different look at sin, which we'll get into before the, the, this, this study's over. So, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, write it down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, it says this. It is the will of the Father, what? Our sanctification. Now, this is important. Stay with me now. I'm going to take you back to Matthew 7. This, this was something that God taught me a few years ago, and it's highly convicting, so it's good for us, okay? Jesus says in, in the famous Matthew 7 speech at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, this is when Jesus goes, I've already been pretty unpopular. I'm about to get real unpopular now. And this is when he hits us with the narrow gate that I just prayed about. This is when he tells us about wide and easy is destruction, narrow gate, and path is hard that, that leads to the truth and, and leads to salvation, and then only a few find that. You know, those are, that means we just got to focus on him. So he's doing all these things, and he talks about that, you know, that a healthy tree doesn't, cannot bear bad fruit. Remember that one? That's why he said that. Because if we are willing to say, make me holy, we really won't sin anymore. We won't have a life of sin. We might have a stumble. But Jesus, and that's not what he's talking about in this, but what he's saying is, if you, now he's getting into, if you want to know who are real teachers and false teachers, if you want to know who are really with me and who are not, just look at the fruit they bear. And because he says, he didn't say that a, that a healthy tree sh, you know, should not bear bad fruit. He said a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Higher standard, everybody say higher standard cannot bear bad fruit. So if I'm bearing bad fruit, I'm not a healthy tree is what Jesus is saying, you know, for somebody who would ask a follow-up question. So what you're saying, that is what I'm saying, Rick. I'm saying to bear bad fruit means unhealthy tree. And then he drops it down on this verse we're talking about here, which is one of the places in the Bible about holiness. He says what many people will say and do say they prophesied in my name, they did mighty works in my name, and I will say, I never knew you. You're an evildoer. Get away from me. Now, if I don't do this key part of that, because I struggle with years, I can literally remember even when I was a little boy and still felt I completely intellectually believed in Jesus, I remember the terror that came over me when people would not explain this to me in a way I can understand because you know what I thought? You never know. You never know. You never know where you're saved or not. My goodness, I said, we don't know how this is going to turn about. You talk about being afraid of death. When you're like, so I can never know? Jesus is saying there's people that claim they're with him that really aren't. Am I one of those? How do I know? Well, see, I wasn't old enough to, to catch the key phrase. Only those that do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of God. The will of my Father, obedience is what you look for, and when you see it, they're real, and when you don't see it, they don't know me, and I don't know them. And then, so you take that. When I saw that as an older man, I was like, ooh, I better find out what the Bible says about the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? Because that's supposed to be an indicator of whether Jesus has radically changed me or not. Guess what one of them is? Sanctification. It says it right here. And uh, in, in First Thess Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, it is the will of the Father, your sanctification. And he goes on to talk about sins, 
But don't miss that line because that's what we're talking about. Holiness set apart, consecrated to God. And you know what he says? It's the will of my father. That's how, that's how his people are. So that goes into the will of the father. In Revelation 22, 11, this is where John is writing at the Revelation and he's getting ready to wrap it up. And you know what Jesus is saying? What? Lost people act like lost people. And people who are holy act like holy people. Here's what he says. He says, let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. You know what he's saying? People act the way they really are. If you're an evildoer, guess what you'll be doing? Evil. If you're filthy, guess how you'll be living? Filthy. If you're righteous, guess how you'll be living? Righteous. If you're holy, guess how you'll be living? Holy. Something this simple makes it into the revelation. I really thought when I saw one of the verses I need to look at was the revelation. I thought, oh, I might have to really get my boots on now. And then I read this, I'm going, oh, that's pretty straightforward. So if you want to know where you are in all this, what do you do? Are you holy? Are you righteous? Or are you filthy? And are you evil? I told you the thing that changed my life is when the pastor sat across from me and he goes, you claim to be one of us, but all I see is filthy and evil. And Jesus said that's not possible. Now, was he being sanctimonious? Was he being self-righteous? Was he a holier-than-thou? Was he a holy roller? Oh, was he just pointing out the truth? It saved my life. So I was thankful that he put that in front of me because, you know what? I didn't have anywhere to go with it. To live a holy life then is what? To live a life in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. That's a good one. So what's holiness, Rick? To live a holy life then is to live a life in conformity to the moral concepts of the Bible. Anybody think you can know the moral concepts of the Bible if you don't know it? It goes back to the great thing in the 80s. What would Jesus do? No, we can talk about whether that was great theology or not. It certainly worked. It probably should have been worded, what would Jesus have me do? But I can, I can live with it. But here's the thing. Would you agree it is impossible to do what Jesus would do if you didn't know what he did? Can you imagine? What, what if you met me for the very first time today and you said, Rick, what, what, what should I do back here on this board? Just do what I do. Uh, I've never seen what you did. So you don't know how I do this? I don't. Well, you think you can do it? That'd be impossible, wouldn't it? Hey, come in there and do the show. If you've been watching Rick for years, you already know exactly what to do. Uh, I haven't. Oh, so you can't do this then, right? No. So you need Rick to teach you. I do. So you didn't watch what he did. I did not. So for me to give you the instructions to do that the way I do it is a waste of my time because you haven't been paying attention, so you don't know. So how in the world are you going to be holy and live a life in conformity to the moral precepts of a Bible that you don't know? I would think that would be very difficult. So then he says, in contrast, I like how he gives, he, Jerry says, so, so let's go over on the other side of that. So maybe you didn't understand what I meant by conforming to the moral concepts of the Bible. Maybe you've got some work to do there. You know what I think we don't have any work to do on? What sin looks like. So he gives us a second thing. If, uh, while we're waiting on you to learn the moral concepts of the Bible, let me just give you this one. Be in contrast with the sinful ways of the world. Don't be like sinful like the world. What does that mean? Well, if, if the world says you don't have to get married, you can just shack up with somebody, then you don't want to do that because that's what the world does. If the world says, you know what, you can get married and have sexual relations with any gender you want to. But the Bible says, no, that intimacy is only between a husband and a wife in the confines of holy matrimony. Well, then you don't go do the things that, that, that the world does while claiming you're not of the world. I can remember hearing it so loud and clear, my parents. You keep running with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. Anybody find that to be true? See, you can run with the dogs and claim you're never going to become a dog. You're an idiot. So what I want to do is I want to be over here not part of the world in, their sin, in the sinful ways. I want to be around people, and I want to, I want to, doesn't mean that we don't engage the world. We're just not part of the world. 
We're holy. We're set apart. We're not sanctimonious about it. We're not self-righteous about it, but we are in obedience to the Lord. Like I said before, do this, man. If you, if you, I did it again the other day after we talked about it. So, hey, now tell me, you know, what, what is it you believe? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, people will just like, man, I wish you would have sugarcoated that a little bit because you're taking me a little slower there, but it just gets down to it. Well, what do followers of Jesus do? Whatever he tells us to. What's John 14, 15 say? Anybody who loves me obeys my commands. You know, John 14, 21. It's those who do what I say that really love me. John 14 is all about that. And uh, so then we, of course, look at Ephesians. So what's another way to look at that? Right out of the Bible. Ephesians 4, 22, and then verse 24. Putting off the old self. Remember I said about old Rick? which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. There it is again. So the Bible says, don't hang on to this old self. You know, I, I heard one of the deepest concepts ever from that, the, the funny comedian, is it Jack Handy, that wrote those things. I have learned, and I'm not worded it the way he did, but this is the concept. I have learned that if my Lord is myself, myself tells me to do whatever I want to. Hey, self, what, what, what else should I do here? I don't know, Rick, whatever you want. And it says you got to put that, you got to quit answering to that because it's corrupted by what? Deceitful desires. What does that mean? Our old self will give us bad advice. So it says, so now we're putting on a new self created to be like God in the righteousness and holiness. There it is again. So we're, the, the new self is supposed to be truly righteous and Holy, holy, holy. What, what, is, what, what do the angels themselves call him? Holy. The great Adrian Rogers, God rest his soul, standing in the presence of the Lord that he served so well. What a great, he was so looking forward to that. But you know when he says people say they want to ask God about this and ask God about that and I can't wait to get the answer on this. And he said, hey, I got news for you. You may, spend the first, you may spend the first 1,000 years on your face just saying holy. Can you imagine? It's one thing to kind of picture him. It's another thing to say, well, today's the day. So we're here. We're here. And we're going to pretend we have any idea what that reaction is going to be like. We might just say holy. 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 And so the old self is of no use to us. And this is the question that's going to be this whole study. If this is so basic to the Christian life, does anybody believe that I haven't made a case and Jerry hasn't made a case and the Bible hasn't made a case that this is a basic concept of the Christian life is holiness? So Jerry asked this question, convicting us. Why then... Do we not experience it more in our daily living? Here's another one. Why do so many Christians feel constantly defeated in their struggle with sin? Why does the church seem to conform to the world around it? Let me tell you one thing. If I, if, if, I, if, I just feel like that the Lord is crying to his church. We're supposed to transform the culture, not adapt to the culture. There's nothing wrong with being wise. He told us to do that. Be, you know, I wish he had used another analogy. It drives Bubba crazy that Jesus used the serpent as an analogy. But, but we're supposed to be as gentle as a dove, meaning we try not to cause any, you know, we try to live at peace with people the best way we can. So the Church of Acts showed us that example. However, it says what? Be as wise as a serpent. Paul talks about this. Hey, be careful about what you do, when you do it, in front of who. Be, have some strategy. Certainly nothing wrong with that. But where we can't, what we can't do is when something strategically planned to reach the lost or to disciple the church turns into compromising biblical principles. Now, the church is not called to that now. Well, the standard for marriage is kind of controversial, and we now here I am, and I've got this couple, and I'm glad they're here, but they don't want to just be here. They want to say that they're not going to repent of this sin and they now want to be in leadership in our church. Somebody says, well, you know, the world would kind of, they've kind of changed on that a little bit. It's kind of, kind of flowing with it. Well, now, now we've left strategy 
and effectiveness, and we've just turned into conforming to the world. Hey, I can't help what God said. I don't dislike you, and you're certainly welcome to come here and worship with us and be part of what we're doing. But the Bible says anybody who becomes a member of his church has to be justified and baptized, and they become a person who repents of sin, not just keeps living in sin. And if you really look at it, see, this is how, the, and, and I dealt with this with a Christian organization one time that I had to separate myself from when this, this took place. And I said to them, I said, but would you allow a man to come in and tell you that he was born an adulterer and he wants to work for your Christian ministry and you just need to know that he's even checked with his church and his church says that they think God's evolved on this. And, and then he's now, he, his wife is even good with it. They just don't think that that standard of Bible is, is you know, God made us with sexual desires. And, and so I'm just going to sleep with any women that, that are willing to sleep with me. Um, I'm still a Christian. I think God's evolved on this. And I want to serve in your Christian ministry. And, but you need to know I was born an adulterer. God made me an adulterer. And I will live as an adulterer. Now, tell me anybody that would let that happen. I hope. Well, that's no different. You know, like I said, adultery and fornication are just as much sin as homosexuality. And homosexuality doesn't require extra redemption. But it does require redemption. It also doesn't get a pass. Just because it's become culturally mod, not just accepted, celebrated, and in a lot of cases preferred. Of course, the scripture warned us about that too, didn't it? Had some of that last week. So that's what we're talking about. So if, if holiness is so basic, why don't we see more of it? Number one, Jerry says, because our attitude on sin is more self-centered than God-centered. Let me unpack that for you. Now, this, this, this one right here is, is showing the kind of deepness we're going. We want victory. Don't we love to say, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But what we want is to tell everybody that we had victory over sin. Man, I, I, don't, uh, I don't have a handle on me anymore. Let me tell you what I did not to have, to have victory over the sin in my life. Hey, man, you've been praying for me about something. Man, I got victory over that. Let me tell you what I did. Man, I looked that right in the eye, and I went the other way. And see, that's the wrong attitude. It's got to be God-centered. We want victory as opposed to God's grieving heart. And I love this. He said, we're so success-driven that, that, that we even want to take success over any victory in our life over sin. We don't want to give it to God. And he says, and this is convicting, Pharaoh, Saul, and Judas, all three said, I have sinned. But, it was on, but the prodigal and King David said, I have sinned against God. Well, everybody said they've sinned. But you remember King Saul? You ever wonder why David got a pass that Saul didn't get? I'll tell you why. The attitude. King Saul, King Saul just simply didn't do what God said to do in battle. Brought stuff back he wasn't supposed to bring back. Brought the king back. By the way, if the prophet shows up and you've got the king, can you imagine your pastor going, you're not supposed to bring this guy back, pulling out a knife. <laughs> you know, like that? This guy, we're taking this guy hostage. You know what I mean? Next Sunday, but anyway, so uh, I've heard of producing the That's a literal sword. I thought you were going to bring the Bible out. But anyway, um, so, but what did he say about his sin? Don't embarrass me in front of everybody. Wasn't that big a deal? I was going to take these animals you told me not to bring back and sacrifice them to you. Well, why would God want a sacrifice of disobedience? We're always justifying it. Now, I know you said to do this, and I did that, but let me tell you why. I'm going to overreact. And look, I'm the king of these people. They don't need to see me getting disciplined by you. So let's just get over here and, you know, I'll sacrifice these to you. Um, Samuel's handled the, me bringing the wrong king back. That's done. Uh, and let's just kind of, let's just move on. Hey, that's my bad. Well, see, that, that's not, what, that's the problem. We have the wrong attitude about sin. We, it ain't no big deal. Or, or we're going to handle our repentance the way we want to handle it. Man, you wouldn't believe my great self-control now. You wouldn't believe the things I'm doing. But what we need to get, if you want sin to feel different to you, think about how it grieves God's heart, how it blasphemes a holy God. 
David said when he finally came around, I've sinned against you. The prodigal, I came to myself and realized I've sinned against my earthly father and I've sinned against my heavenly father. That's a different attitude. So it says um, God wants obedience, not victory. Obedience is, or, is oriented toward God. Victory is always oriented toward us. Man, I want victory. I got victory over my sin. No, you, have, you decide to be obedient to God. See, once again, you, you want everybody to put you in the spotlight. Look at me. Now, see, that does get into self-righteous and, and, and holier than thou. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I wish y'all had the great self-control I have. As opposed to, hey, man, I notice uh, you don't do that anymore. Man, I can't blaspheme God. Look, look what God's done for me. My response to his grace is, is my obedience. I'm obedient to God because I love him, and I certainly don't want to grieve his heart over being so disrespectful for the price that was paid for my salvation. That's much different. So that's one of the problems why we don't see it more than we do. Number two, uh, we've misunderstood what living by faith actually means. You can look at Galatians 2.20. We, we, we believe that, that there's absolutely no effort required on our part at all. Sometimes we'll even get real sanctimonious and we'll say that me saying that I have to, uh, to do anything is actually being fleshly. I mean, we'll, we'll literally take it and we'll try, to, we'll try to come up with an excuse of the reason why we're not holy. We'll go as far as say, we're not even have that attitude. It's kind of sinful to think that somehow, you ever heard this before, that you can somehow do anything on your own. We certainly can't, but I keep showing you in the Bible words of action over and over and over again. But what happens is we, we, take, we take God's sovereignty too far to where we just sit around and say, well, there's really nothing we have to do at all. And anything that's going on is grace. You, ever, you know, these, these are those people, that, the reason why you don't see holiness, they can't wait to show you how free in Christ they really are, but they take freedom so far that they now don't even take anything serious. And you know what they keep saying? We're saved by grace through faith. And we are but they say that that requires no holiness on their part at all. No action. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, they'll ignore a lot of Scripture. I told you about the time the young guy wanted to show me how free he was as he was, as he was enjoying himself some alcohol in front of me, and he did, he did not get to the point of drunkenness. I'll tell you that. He says, well, you know, I'm free in Christ. And I said, but are you free to offend me? I said, I'm somebody who had to be delivered from, from drunkenness. Didn't Paul... Say for you not to do anything that caused your brother to stumble? That if it was something that you even think you should do or could do under grace, it doesn't mean you should do it? Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And he told you that if you're sitting in front of a brother that you might do something that would offend them not to do it, are you free to violate that? And, and it's uncomfortable at that point. Because you know, he didn't know whether to put the, put the alcohol up or leave it on the table. But I'll tell you this, he didn't drink it as hardly after that. See, that's that, that's that attitude that's all wrong. I don't even think holiness is a big deal at all. So really, not drinking alcohol in front of somebody that it's going to offend, they're going to think the wrong thing. I'll tell you this, and, and God confirmed it this past weekend during the Hall of Fame induction. I saw people that I had great respect for in the faith hitting the bar so hard, and I don't know whether they got drunk or not, but I thought less of them. I did. Now, that may be wrong on my part. I'm just telling you, though, the effectiveness of their witness was damaged because certain things in your hand and certain things you see just doesn't look good. When you see supposedly a holy man of God holding a gooseneck and a crowd, no matter who can see him, coming off away from the bar where other people are obviously drunk, and standing right in the middle of it, the image is not holy. It's a bad image. And I remember thinking, man, this guy was a guy who got after me when I was lost and was calling me to a standard, and now I, I'm not even convicted by this guy anymore. You know what I said? You know, you, know what, you know what Bible study we've come off of? I literally said, and Sherry will, will be the witness, so he's chosen not to finish well. He's kind of he's wavering here at the end. 
Now, I realize you're saying, Rick, you can't be his judge. I'm not being his judge. I'm just telling you that wasn't effective. And I'm telling you that he was taking misunderstanding, living by faith, to a point that it was damaging his witness. That's what I'm telling you. There was no semblance of holiness there at all. And it, and it affected me as someone who used to be under his authority and was someone who at one time he was calling me to a higher standard than I was living, which he was right to do that, by the way. But I lost respect for him. And I literally think, that laugh looks like it's coming unraveled. Now, is it? I don't know. But it sure did look that way, which is why we don't do it. J.C. Ryle, let's, get this, let's go ahead. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can handle some J.C. Ryle. Y'all ready? Uh, it's on page 17 in the book. I'm going to try my best here. Y'all ready? Here we go. J.C., he says, even though Galatians 2.20 tells us to live by faith, this doesn't mean there's no effort at holiness required on our part. He said, listen, to what we just said, this is in 1900, from 1880 to 1900, is it wise to proclaim so bald, naked, and unqualified a way as many do that the holiness of converted people is by faith only and not at all by personal exertion. It is according to the appropriation of God's word. I doubt it. That faith in Christ is the root of all holiness. No well-instructed Christian will ever think of denying, but surely the scriptures teach us that in following holiness that true the true Christian needs personal exertion and work as well as faith. So what JC's saying in Calhoun County C student is, if you're sitting around saying that everything that needs to be done uh, requires no effort on your part, he said, I don't know of anybody that, that could truly look at what the Bible says from the beginning to, end, to the end and come to that conclusion. Certainly there's effort on our part. Certainly there's effort on our part. We have a personal responsibility for our walk of holiness and we must accept that responsibility. Say it again. We have a personal responsibility for our walk of holiness, and we must accept that responsibility. Because, I mean, what I, and this is that thing about grace abuse. Give you an example of what I just saw. I, I honestly am not going to sit here and say that this person that I saw or some of the people that I saw, I don't know how they lived their life away from where I was. But what J.C. Ryle is talking about and what, the, what we just talked about right then, that person took their commitment and responsibility to holiness, and they didn't care about it. Now, that I can make judgment on by the fruit easily. They didn't care about it. You know, where was the moment when they walk over and say, oh, man, I'd love to have a cold beer right now. Oh, my gosh, I'm standing in here with hundreds of people uh, that have no, that, that I've been out there and I've been this big vocal person about being a man of God. And um, now, legalistically, I might disagree with denominational uh, thinking and, theology. I may think that, you know, Jesus drank wine that actually had alcohol in it. That may be my belief, and I'd stand up and I'd try to make that case. But where was the moment when he said, but right now, by no means do I need to grab a beer and walk around in here. You can go have that alcohol debate in private with other brothers and sisters, but I got news for you. When the world sees a man grab a cold beer and start walking around other drunk people, they don't think that's a holy man. They don't see that man as a man of God with any credibility. But Rick, look how free I am. You're not free to do that. And that's what this is all about. That's what we're studying. I'm not saying that costs that guy's salvation or anything like that. I'm just saying he made a move that was in conflict with the call of Scripture on those of us who claim Christ. And it certainly affected my view of him. And that's not being sanctimonious. That's just true. The last point, why we don't see more holiness in the individual lives of people who claim to be followers of Christ or even sometimes within the church is we do not take sin seriously. Are we willing to call sin, sin, not because it is big or little, but because God's law forbids it? And I like this, to truly be holy, and this one hit me right in the face, we cannot put sin in categories. Sin is serious. If you don't think it's serious, look what it did to Jesus. Sin is the problem. And we just need to call sin, sin. When people say, well, the other day, I got a little worldly. No, you sinned. 
That's, that, that's what you did. You sinned. And what did we learn in the Calvary Road from Roy Hessian? Some of y'all weren't in here for that. He said, if you want to know what stops every single revival individually or as, a, as the church body, it's always sin. It's always sin. What, how many ministries have we seen completely destroyed? Whether that's, whether that's, that's not fair. I mean, grace, it doesn't matter. Sin, sin matters. I look at my own life. Look, I have been redeemed. I have been made righteous. I have, I have been used. I've been, I'm a continuing. I, I want to finish well. I want to press on. But I know this. I know this. If I make the smallest compromise, it could turn into disaster. At any moment, I'm capable of doing anything. And you know how you end up there? I promise you, find anybody that ended up destroying their witness, destroying their ministry, or whatever, they'll tell you it started off being casual about something they thought was no big deal. And see, we got to get smarter to look beyond that and say, I know how this is going to go. So we need to do an opposite, like in our, in our spiritual life, Think about this, and, and, we'll, and we're almost done. And look, I got a long way to go on trying to do better physically, and you know, and I'm trying to exercise, and I'm getting older, and my body's falling apart, and I got to watch what I do. And I absolutely loathe going and physically exercising. I hate it. I'll always hate it. I don't know what runner's high is. I don't know what exercise high is. You know. I'm not a very, I didn't have a lot of self-control or commitment when I was lost, but let me tell you one commitment I stuck to. When I walked out of a weight room for the last time, my last day of football, I said, I'll never do that again. And by golly, I stuck to that. So, but, 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 the, um, but here's the problem. And the same thing with righteousness. And I started talking about this with a brother that he and I are going through this study together just as individuals. And I said, you know, for him, he's really in shape. I said, you know, you, you love working out. He said, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's still hard, but I, I said, see, I, I hate it, but I know it's beneficial. And I said, so what I've started doing now that I'm a little older and a little wiser is I don't look beyond, remember what Steve Farrar told us, the next right thing. So when somebody says when we come in, like when I go to workout, we stretch, we do weights, and then we do what they call the workout of the day, which could consist of all kinds of horrible tortures, okay? <laughs> but what I do, if I go in there and I'm focused on workout of the day, I'm, I'm demoralized. I'm like, gosh, man, have you looked at it? Yeah, I have. Man, is that number right? And, and all this, well, now I'm demoralized. So what I did is I said, look, here we're going to do first. We're going to stretch. I could be dead. I may die during the stretch. I may never get to the workout of the day. So we're going to stretch. And now after we stretch, we're going to lift some weights. Okay, Rick, what about the workout of the day? I don't know. Maybe this will kill us. We may never get there. Okay. And so I'm not going, and then all of a sudden I find myself, oh my gosh, I'm in the workout of the day, and then the first round's done, and then I don't even think about the fourth round, however they may have. But you know what I start thinking about? How great it's going to be when I go over to that drink machine and I get that little sports drink thing they have that's ice cold. I don't even know what the name of it is. They just keep telling me to drink them. And then I'm going to drink that, and I'm going to get my round 1500, and I'm going to say, gosh, that feels good once I start breathing again. And I'll be like, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I did that. I've got energy. I feel better. I don't feel like some fat slob. And I think this has helped me be a better witness. Well, that, that's what you got to think about with, with taking sin seriously. This moment of gratification, it's difficult because right now you want so bad to give in to the flesh, but we got to get to where we think of how it's going to feel when we don't. I didn't do it. I started praying, I started seeking God, and now I'm walking around outside and the day is beautiful. And when my wife pulls up today, I don't have to be sitting there going, man, I did something I shouldn't have done. I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. Hey, I don't have to say, I got scared and I fudged a little bit on this at work and I took a little over by myself, but I said I was going to pay it back. And I did. You don't have that worry because you just did what was right. Not out of legalism, not out of do's and don'ts, because you would rather be found holy than to have the flesh defeat you again. And you know what comes after that? Regret. You know the days that I could possibly go work out and I don't? I feel like a loser. Now at the moment I said, I can't, I'm so glad I'm not going. Now I ain't going to have to do that today. Then you get home and you're just kind of sitting on the couch and you're like, I could have done that. I, I feel like a loser. 
Then the first time you feel like, man, I really feel fat right now. Then before you know it, you feel lazy and slothful. And I'm just like, so this is what I gave in for, to feel this way? Because in that moment of elation, or that moment of gratification, the regret is long. So you have to start picturing what it looks like when you do the right thing versus what it looks like when you give in. And I love this last line. So we take every single sin serious, and we don't put them in categories if we want to truly be holy. All right, that's our introduction to it, our first chapter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Go with us as we step out now to, to implement everything you're teaching us. Hey, Lord, you're the one that's holy. We're not. But you know what? For those of us that claim that you have justified our spirit, now the ability to be holy is there. And Lord, may we do our part as you provide the strength to accomplish it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all go get them.